Soon they will say that they were three. Who will say? The people of the book. Because as I mentioned to you, that the Ashabul Kahf, they were from the followers of Isa a.s. So later on, what happened? When the Ashabul Kahf were discovered, they came to meet the rest of the people 300 years later. What happened? People, after several years, people were confused about even their exact number. As it happens, if there is a historical event, unless you learn about it from the wahi, from the revelation, there will always be different narratives, different versions. So the number of the Ashabul Kahf also, what happened? The people of the book, the Nasara, the Christians, amongst them they differed. Some said that the Ashabul Kahf were Salasatun. They were three men, three fitya. Rabi'uhum kalbuhum. And the fourth of them was their dog. Wayakuluna and another group of Christians, they say that Khamsatun, the Ashabul Kahf were five. Sadisuhum and the sixth of them was Kalbuhum, their dog. So some groups of Christians they said the Ashabul Kahf were three, others said no there were more than that. Allah says Rajuman throwing stones bil ghaib at the unseen. Rajm literally means to throw stones. And we learned earlier also that the Ashabul Kahf they said be very careful when you go to buy food because if people discover you, what will they do? Yarujumukum. They will stone you, meaning they will stone you to death. So Rajm literally means to throw stones. Rajman bil ghaib. What is ghaib? Unseen, meaning what you cannot see. So for example, darkness. Can you see it? Can you see what's in the dark? No. And if a person is trying to shoot at his target, which is hidden in the dark, how? He's trying to throw stones at it. Will he ever hit the target? No. Because he cannot see it. So rajman bil ghaib, this is an expression which shows when a person is saying something based on assumption. You know, he's just guessing. Guessing. And when a person is guessing about something, then what he's saying is far from reality. It is far from truth. And also what happens when you're guessing, then do you say one thing or do you keep changing your mind? You keep changing your mind, right? So for example, if you don't know the answer, if there is an MCQ, right, and you don't know the exact answer, what do you do? You say, hum, A, B, C, B. No, 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 C, no, A. You keep guessing. You keep changing your mind. Why? Due to lack of knowledge. Rajman bil ghaib. Now what does this teach us? That if we don't know about something, then what should we do? Just guess. What should we do? Remain silent over there. And this is no humiliation. If you don't know about something, don't start guessing it. Now if it's just you know a test paper, all right, in which you're being asked about the solution to a math problem, all right, then no big deal. But when it comes to the matter of deen, when it comes to something about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or about His Messenger or about the Qur'an, then when we're guessing based on assumption, based on ignorance, we could be saying things that are incorrect. And they could be serious problems. They could be serious issues to our aqidah. You know, for instance, if a person says, in the Qur'an, the face of Allah is mentioned. What does that mean? So one person says, oh, I think it means such and such. 
Or no, 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 I think it actually means something else. No, you cannot think when it comes to the attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You cannot guess. Because the thing is that when there's an issue about which everybody is guessing, then, then what does it show? That this matter is not that serious. Right? You know, for instance, if there is an individual, you know, like for example, your friend, and they say, guess how old I am. You say you are 25. No, no, I think you're 35. And then you're like, no, I think you're 100. Why are you saying that? Because you're just having fun with them. And you can do that. But if you say that to your husband, hmm, he says, what's my birthday? And you're like, um, I think it's this. No, no, I think you were born in January. No, I think you were born in May. He's going to get offended. That I'm supposed to be your husband and you don't even know my birthday? You understand? So there are some matters about which you can guess. No big deal. But other matters which are sacred, when it comes to the religion of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when it comes to something about the Qur'an, something about the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, we don't guess over there. We don't do that. We speak based on ilm, on knowledge. And where we do not have knowledge, where we have reached the maximum extent of our ilm, then we admit our ignorance there. Just like the angels. When they were asked about the names of the things, did they start guessing? What did they say? Subhanaka la ilma lana illa ma'allamtana. Glory be to you, O Allah, we have no knowledge except that which you have given us. So the Nasana, what did they do? They were in confusion about the number of the Ashabul Kahf. Some said three, some said more. Allah says, رَجْمًا بِالْغَيْبِ وَيَقُولُونَ سَبْعَةٌ And another group of the Christians, they say that the Ashabul Kahf were seven. وَثَامِنُهُمْ And the eighth of them was كَلْبُهُمْ Their dog. Now notice over here. After this, it hasn't been said, رَجْمًا بِالْغَيْبِ And this is the reason why The Muslim scholars also say that the Ashabul Kahf, how many were they? Seven, and the eighth was their dog. And if you compare this with the previous numbers that were given, this is a more, you can say it's a more respectful reference. Why? Because the dog has been mentioned separately. It has been separated with a wow. Earlier, what did we see? ثَلَاثَةٌ رَابِعُهُمْ كَلْبُهُمْ خَمْسَةٌ سَادِسُهُمْ كَلْبُهُمْ And this is what? سَبْعَةٌ وَثَامِنُهُمْ كَلْبُهُمْ So because of these two reasons, the ulama have said that the Ashab al-Kahf were indeed seven. قُلْ سَيْ رَبِّي مَا لَوْرْدَ أَعْلَمُ He is most knowing بِعِدَّتِهِمْ of their number. Allah knows best about their number, how many there were. And Allah has informed us in the Qur'an. مَا يَعْلَمُهُمْ None knows them إِلَّا قَلِيلٌ Except a few Meaning before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed about this Only a few people were aware of the number of Ashab al-Kahf So when people are differing over something What should be our attitude? فَلَا تُمَارِ فِيهِمْ So you do not argue concerning them Concerning who? Concerning the number of Ashab al-Kahf إِلَّا except مِرَاءً An argument that is ظاهراً on the surface. The word tumari, mira'an, what does it mean? To argue. Hmm? Does the word remind you of another word? Huh? Miriyah. What does miriyah mean? Doubt. 
So mira is basically such an argument about which people are doubtful. Okay, And because they're doubtful about it, this is why one person is saying one thing and another person is saying something else. So in other words, it's confusing. It's confusing. And whenever you are you know, speaking to someone about which there is generally confusion, all right, then how should you discuss that issue? Allah says, Mira'an zahiran. Stay on the surface. Meaning, don't take that matter to heart. Don't involve your heart in that discussion. Because if you get your emotions involved, then what will happen? You will get upset. You will get angry. You will take things personally. And it's not going to get you anywhere. It's not going to get you anywhere at all. Let me give you one example. When it comes to ingredients in food, what is halal, what is not halal, what is doubtful, what is not doubtful. I mean, there are certain things about which there is clarity. Right? This ingredient, it's obviously animal-derived, so no doubt about it. But then there are some other ingredients about which there is confusion. You know, people have an issue. Some say, no, it's not okay. Others say, no, it is okay. So whenever you read something about it, or whenever you discuss with somebody about it, please don't take it to heart. Okay? Don't get all you know, emotional over there. Because it's not a matter over which you should be getting angry. You should be getting upset about it. And it's amazing how sometimes you'll find these arguments, all right, these discussions in which people are getting so upset. Literally their face is turning red, another person is yelling. What does Allah say? فَلَا تُمَارِي فِيهِمْ إِلَّا مِرَاءً ظَاهِرًا Stay cool. Stay calm. Don't take it to heart. وَلَا تَسْتَفْتِ And at the same time we're given one more rule, which is that do not go seeking fatwa. istifta, Which is to seek fatwa. To seek an answer, a solution to a problem. So وَلَا تَسْتَفْتِ فِيهِمْ Do not ask a fatwa about them. About who? The Ashabul Kaf. How many were they? Minhum from them. From who? From the Ahlul Kitab. Ahadan anyone. Why? Because if you ask them, that okay, you tell us what their number is. Whatever you say, we'll take your word. If you trust their knowledge, are you going to get proper knowledge? No. Why? Because when they themselves are so confused, what are they going to tell you? So then where do you find the solution from? Where do you find the solution from? The Qur'an. Because, نَحْنُ نَقُصُّ عَلَيْكَ نَبَأَهُمْ And this is such a beautiful lesson that we're being taught over here. You know, this is not just with regards to the number of Ashabul Kahf. So many issues, so many matters that are a part of our deen and also part of the deen of Ahlul Kitab. Alright? And the Ahlul Kitab, so many different versions, opinions. Now, what do you do? What are you supposed to do? Whenever you discuss, don't get all emotionally involved. And secondly, Ask who? Ask those who do have knowledge. Turn to that which is the source of knowledge, which is the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this teaches us a general lesson that we should not go on seeking fatwa from every other person. You know, especially those who are not worthy of it. Ask who? People of knowledge. وَلَا تَقُولَنَّ Another important lesson that we learn from the story of the Ashabul Kahf. Allah says, and do not say, never say, 
لِشَيْءٍ about something that إِنِّي indeed I فَاعِلٌ going to do one who does ذَلِكَ that غَدًا tomorrow غَدًا tomorrow meaning the following day do not say about anything that I'm going to do it tomorrow does this mean don't make any plans? no make a plan Make a plan for the next day, for the next week, for the next year, for the next decade, whatever you want. Make a plan. However, when you make a plan, don't just stop there. When you say, I'm going to do this, don't stop there. Continue. And what should you say? إِلَّا except أَنْ يَشَاءَ اللَّهِ That Allah wills. Meaning, say, I am going to do this, inshaAllah. Don't say about anything that you're going to do it the next day, Except by mentioning Allah's will. Illa an yasha Allah. Add that. Insha Allah. In if sha'a you willed Allah Allah. Meaning if Allah wills, I'll do it. And if Allah does not will, I will not be able to do it. So in other words, mention his name and mention his will. Why? Why say insha Allah? Yes. Exactly. Nothing can happen without the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the thing is that when you say inshallah, there are two benefits. First is that when you say inshallah, what do you mean? That I intend to do it, however, I admit that I will only be able to do it if Allah allows me. So you're giving the authority to who? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? You're transferring charge from yourself to who? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I plan to do it, I'm ready to do it, I'm prepared, however, I can only do it if God allows me. So you are leaving your matter to who? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And obviously, anything, when you will do this, when you will leave that affair to Allah, will you not receive His help? Of course you will. Only then you will be facilitated. Only then you will receive Allah's aid and you'll be able to accomplish your goals. You know, many times it happens that we set goals for ourselves, for the next day, for the next week, for the next year. But then what happens? What happens? We're not able to accomplish them. Why? There could be many reasons. But one of the main reasons could be that we did not seek Allah's help. We did not realize that ultimately the authority is with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There is another benefit in saying insha'Allah. And you know what that is? You know, for instance, you make a promise with your friend that next week, insha'Allah, I will come to see you. You're making a promise. But you are setting a condition with that. If Allah wills. So then what will happen? Next week comes, and then all of a sudden there's an emergency situation and you're not able to go. You broke your promise, technically. However, because you said if Allah wills, then because you did not fulfill your promise over here, you're not really committing a sin. You're not committing a sin. It protects you from committing a sin. But this doesn't mean that we don't intend to do anything and we just keep giving people our word and saying, if God wills, if God wills, if Allah wills. I mean, this is the extreme that we have adopted, right? Whenever we don't intend to do something, that's when we say inshallah. Whereas we should be saying inshallah when we have fully intended to do something. So, illa an yasha'Allah. Now, the thing is that there are different kinds of plans that we make or actions that we're doing. You know, for instance, if I say, 
if my mother is sitting downstairs and I'm upstairs and she calls me and I say, I'm coming. Do I have to say inshallah over there? I'm coming inshallah. Huh? Or for instance, uh, everybody's sitting at the table and uh, you know, you're just sitting and your mother tells you, start eating and you say, inshallah, I will eat. Do you have to say inshallah over every little thing? Because sometimes when we are writing emails or sending text messages, they begin with inshallah, there's an inshallah in the middle and there's an inshallah at the end. Huh? So is that how it's supposed to be? That every little thing, every single thing that we're about to do, that we're going to do, that we're planning to do, we say inshallah. There's two kinds of actions. Okay? One, those actions which we are about to do. We have already intended and we are in the process of doing it. So over there, you don't need to say inshallah. Because Allah already willed that you do it, which is why you're doing it. You know, so for instance, your mother calls you. You're upstairs. And you're just turning your computer off and getting up. You don't need to yell from upstairs, inshallah, I'm coming. You can say, I'm coming mom. That's enough. Alright? Likewise, you're sitting at the table and you're about to eat. Somebody tells you, eat. You say, yeah, I'm just about to start. Why? Because you're already in the process. You've already started working towards it. But then there is another category of the actions that we do. And those are actions that we're still planning about, that we intend to do. So for example, you tell your friend, I will come to visit you next week. Inshallah. There you say, Inshallah. Hmm? Likewise, you tell your teacher, I will submit this assignment next weekend. Inshallah. Alright? You tell your mother, Inshallah, I should be home by 8 o'clock. Alright? Because it's about the future. Right? It's about the future. And you don't know, you'll really be able to fulfill that commitment. So over there, don't forget to mention Allah's name. Why? To seek His blessing. And secondly, to protect yourself from sin. What sin? Of lying or of breaking a promise. So, وَلَا تَقُولَنَّ لِشَيْءٍ إِنِّي فَاعِلٌ ذَلِكَ غَدَى إِلَّا أَنْ يَشَاءَ اللَّهِ But what if you you know made plans and everything and you forgot to say inshallah? Then what? Allah says, وَذْكُرْ And remember, mention رَبَّكَ your Lord إِذَا نَسِيتَ When you forget. Meaning if you forgot to mention Allah's name when you were making your plans, then when you do remember, then what should you do? Then what should you do? Mention His name. And this is not just limited to this context, but generally in life. We should be busy in the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But then what happens? You start doing your dhikr. Right? So for example, you're sitting in the car and you say, okay, throughout this trip, I'm going to say subhanallah wa bihamdihi because you should say as much as possible, right? Subhanallah wa bihamdihi a hundred times in the morning, a hundred times in the evening. So what happens? You're saying subhanallah wa bihamdihi, subhanallah al-azim and all of a sudden, you know, somebody goes really fast by you and you get a little startled and then you forget. And then you stop saying your dhikr. And then after five minutes, you're like, why am I so quiet? Oh, you remember. So then what should you do? Do the canal. So, وَذْكُرْ رَبَّكَ إِذَا نَسِيتَ Every time you forget, and then you remember, then what should you do? Start doing dhikr. Never leave your tongue, you know, silent. 
Yes, it happens that you are busy talking to someone or you're busy doing some work. But then every time you find yourself sitting idle, you know, for instance, at a dinner party, everybody's had dinner and then everybody's just staring at each other's faces, waiting for some other people to finish their conversations that everybody can go home, right? So don't just sit there staring at each other, even though you don't know what to talk about. Start doing dhikr, silently, quietly, in your mouth. وَذْكُرْ رَبَّكَ إِذَا نَسِيتَ And what's the benefit of this? What's the benefit of this? That if a person continues to remember Allah like that, each time he forgets, and he remembers, he does dhikr of Allah. What's the benefit? Exactly. You remember Allah, and Allah will remember you. You remember Allah, and your enemy will run away from you. Shaitan will go away from you. وَقُلْ and say, Asa. Perhaps, أَنْ That He will guide me. Who will guide me? Rabbi, my Lord. Hopefully my Lord will guide me لِأَقْرَبَ To that which is closer from قُرْب مِنْ هَذَا Than this رَشَدَ In right conduct. What does it mean by this? The thing is that there is a particular context to these ayat. And that context is that Ibn Ishaq, he mentions that Ibn Ishaq is a historian. He mentions that the Jews, they told the mushrikeen of Mecca to ask the Prophet ﷺ certain questions. And they said that if he gives these answers to you, if he explains these concepts to you, then yes, he receives revelation. He is a prophet. And if he's not able to answer those questions, then you know that he's a liar. And remember this was before the hijrah. The Prophet ﷺ was still in Mecca. So what were those questions? One question was about the ruh. What is the ruh? Another question was about the ashab al-kahf. That what is the deal with the young boys who slept in the cave for many years? And another question was about a king who conquered the lands of the east and the lands of the west, Dhul Qarnayn. So when they asked the Prophet ﷺ this question, obviously the Prophet ﷺ did not speak without knowledge. He didn't guess over there. He didn't make things up. Revelation did not come to him immediately. And he did not have any previous knowledge concerning these matters. So he said, I'll tell you tomorrow. I'll tell you tomorrow. So what happened? They came to him the next day. And the Prophet ﷺ didn't have an answer. Why? Because the wahi had not come. Jibreel did not come with revelation. So what happened? Fifteen days passed by. And no wahi, no answer. And in this time, imagine the distress and the worry that the Prophet ﷺ must have been feeling. Like we learned earlier at the beginning of the surah, فَلَعَلَّكَ بَاخِعُ النَّفْسَكَ عَلَىٰ آثَارِهِمْ إِلَّمْ يُؤْمِنُوا بِهَذَا الْحَدِيثِ أَسَفَةً So he was getting more and more worried that if I don't give them the answers, they're not going to believe. So then after 15 days, what happened? The wahi came and these ayat were revealed. So the people asked about Ashab al-Kahf, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed their story. But remember that the Qur'an doesn't just tell us stories, it gives us lessons. Right? So in this was also a lesson for the Prophet ﷺ, that do not say about anything that you're going to do it tomorrow, except by saying, inshaAllah. So the Prophet ﷺ was taught a beautiful lesson and we also are taught over here. Now a person might say that why did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala do this? I mean, 
people must have been laughing at the Prophet ﷺ. Oh, he's a liar. There, he's run out of his information. He cannot make up any more new stories. You know, in this was actually defense of the Prophet ﷺ. Because if really the next day, the people came and the Prophet ﷺ gave them the answer, what would they say? Yeah, he just made it up. But then when 15 days passed by, and each day the Prophet ﷺ didn't have something to tell them. Why? Because... He did not receive any revelation. What did the people realize about him? That this man does not speak without knowledge. He only conveys what he receives. If he was going to make it up, he would have you know, made something up immediately. But the fact that he gave the answers 15 days later shows that he got the answers later. He is a messenger. Someone who is conveying a message. Not someone who is making things up and telling people. Right? And then the Prophet ﷺ is told that, وَقُلْ عَسَىٰ أَن يَهْدِيَنِ رَبِّي لِأَقْرَبَ مِنْ هَذَا رَشَدًا That hopefully my Lord will guide me to that which is closer than this in right conduct. Closer than what? Closer than what you know about the Ashabul Kahf. Alright? Because one was the version that the Ahlul Kitab knew. Alright? And that version of the news of Ashab al-Kahf was full of confusion, doubts, uncertainties. However, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed about the incident of Ashab al-Kahf, then what was that? Closer to Rashad. Rashad, truth. More accurate narrative. More correct. More beneficial also. And then, وَلَبِثُوا فِي كَهْفِهِمْ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that the Ashab al-Kahf, they remained in their cave. How long? ثَلَاثَ مِئَةٍ Three hundred سِنِينَ years. They remained in their cave for how long? Three hundred years. Meaning they were sleeping in there for that long. وَزْدَادُوا تِسْعَةٍ And they increased by nine. إِزْدَادُوا From زَيَّادَال زِيَادَة What does ziyadah mean? To increase. So, wasdadu tis'a, and they increased by nine more. What does that mean? That they slept for a total of 309 years. Now, why has 309 been mentioned in this way? Wasdadu tis'a. Why like this? Because if you see, it suits the, you can say the rhythm of the verses. Alright? The way the words are. So, ثَلَاثَ مِئَةٍ سِنِينَ وَزْدَادُوا تِسْعَى And the previous ayah also ends with رَشَ دَى And the ayah before that غَدَى Alright, so the endings of the verses, they all sound the same then. And it's also possible, it's also possible that they slept for 300 years and then وَزْدَادُوا تِسْعَى Nine more years, I mean when they woke up, Allahu A'lam. So, from this what do we learn? That the Ashab al-Kahf remained in their cave sleeping for how many years? 300. قُلْ say Allahu أَعْلَمُ Allah is most knowing بِمَا لَبِثُوا Of how long they remained. And Allah is the one who's telling us over here how long the people of the cave remained in their cave. Because the people of the book according to them, the Ashab al-Kahf slept for 150 some years. Some say 170, a little more, a little less than that. So again, different opinions over there. What does Allah say? Allahu a'lamu bima labithu. Lahu ghaybu samawati wal ard. 
because to him belongs the unseen the hidden matters the hidden things of the skies and the earth meaning whatever is hidden in the sky whatever is hidden in the earth who knows about it allah knows about it and the thing is that there's so many things which are around us but we don't see them and therefore we can never know about them we can never come to know of them and likewise when something has happened in the past we were never there we never witnessed it with our eyes how can we know so who knows allah knows so leave that matter to him and trust what he tells you because lahu ghaybus samawati wal ard abusir bihi wa asmir abusir bihi this is a structure abusir bihi it's basically a verb of wonder right a verb of wonder to show amazement abusir bihi meaning how best he sees wa asmir and how best he hears his vision is perfect and his hearing is perfect it's not limited to a place it's not limited to a certain time no allah sees everything and he hears everything so trust what he tells you malahum they do not have who the people they do not have min dunihi besides him min waliyin any wali any friend any protector now a person might say but i have many friends wali is not just a friend who is wali the one who protects you the one who takes care of you the one who supports you that is wali so when allah says that people do not have any wali besides allah what does it mean they do not have any true protector besides allah and this is something that we really need to remember because we begin to think that it's our human friends that will protect us you know it's our spouse it's our parents it's our relatives they are our protectors no they may offer us protection but they're not true protectors because if they cannot even protect themselves how can they protect us and the story what does it show that the one who relies upon allah then does allah protect him yes I mean just imagine these men are made to sleep for 300 years why allah was protecting them he protected them he saved their lives because if they were to remain within their people what would happen they would be killed right and how long could they stay in the cave like that how long could they live like that so allah protected them malahum min dunihi min waliyin wala yushriku fi hukmihi ahada and he does not associate in his hukum ahadan anyone meaning allah's decisions the decisions that he makes he makes them independently there's no one else who shares with him when it comes to judgment when it comes to deciding the affair of the creation so what does that mean then who decides our affairs Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does he need anyone's suggestion does he need anyone's feedback no so this teaches us that anything that happens in our life happens with whose hukum Allah's hukum and if he is deciding my matters then i am in perfect care if he is deciding my affairs then i don't need to worry if i do my best 
and leave my affairs to Allah, then I am safe. Then even if I suffer, in that suffering is good. If I gain something, that gain inshallah will be good. Because وَلَا يُشْرِكُ فِي حُكْمِهِ أَحَدًا In the Qur'an Allah says, أَلَا لَهُ الْخَلْقُ وَالْأَمْرُ The entire creation is His and the entire decision is also His. وَلَا يُشْرِكُ فِي حُكْمِهِ أَحَدًا So what's the conclusion of the story? What's the main lesson? That all knowledge belongs to Allah. Knowledge of the unseen. His knowledge is complete. And all decision also lies with Him. And when He decides something, can anyone overrule His decision, His judgment? Never. Can anyone change His plans? Never. I mean, if you think about it, these guys slept as Allah willed, when Allah willed. They woke up when Allah willed. And they got discovered when Allah willed. Everything that happened to them, Happened by whose decision? Allah's decision. And we think that sleep is in our control. And waking up is in our control. Even these affairs are not entirely in our control. Allah is our ruler. He rules over us. Because He's the Malik. He's the Khaliq and the Malik. Let's listen to the recitation of these ayat. سَيَقُولُونَ ثَلَاثَةٌ رَابِعُهُمْ كَلْبُهُمْ وَيَقُولُونَ خَمْسَةٌ سَادِسُهُمْ كَلْبُهُمْ رَجْمًا بِالْغَيْبِ وَيَقُولُونَ سَبَعَةٌ وَثَامِنُهُمْ كَلْبُهُمْ قُلْ رَبِّي أَعْلَمُ بِعِدَّتِهِمْ مَا يَعْلَمُهُمْ إِلَّا قَلِيلٌ فَلَا تُمَارِ فِيهِمْ إِلَّا مِرَاءً ظَاهِرًا وَلَا تَسْتَفْتِ فِيهِمْ مِنْهُمْ أَحَدًا وَلَا تَقُولَنَّ لِشَيْءٍ إِنِّي فَاعِلٌ ذَلِكَ غَدًا إِلَّا أَنْ يَشَاءَ اللَّهُ وَاذْكُرْ رَبَّكَ إِذَا نَسِيتَ وَقُلْ عَسَىٰ أَنْ يَهْدِيَنِ رَبِّي لِأَقْرَبَ مِنْ هَذَا رَشَدًا وَلَبِثُوا فِي كَهْفِهِمْ ثَلَاثَ مِئَةٍ سِنِينَ وَازْدَادُوا تِسْعَىٰ قُلِ اللَّهُ أَعْلَمُ بِمَا لَبِثُوا لَهُ غَيْبُ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ أَبْصِرْ بِهِ وَأَسْمِعْ مَا لَهُمْ مِنْ دُونِهِ مِنْ وَلِيٍّ وَلَا يُشْرِكُ فِي حُكْمِهِ Would you like to say something? Go ahead. Subhanallah, what I thought about is whoever has Allah is the strongest. No matter whatever we're going through and whatever decision we make is the best of decision. I used to work in an office where we had to always get consultation and sometimes our consultations used to cost us over $90,000. Like for 30 pages of getting like where office has to be led and the future of the office. And then, you know, like seeing now like how people rely on people so much and when they pay that $90,000, they feel like, okay, this is the 
best of advice I got. When subhanAllah at the end the advice only relies on Allah. And if we trust Allah, that is the best of decisions, subhanAllah. And this is why I mean we've been taught istikhara. Right? That any matter that you are confused about, you don't know whether to go this way or that way, what should you do? Seek khair from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Pray two rakah, worship Him, and make dua, ask Him for that which is good. That, oh Allah, whatever is good for me, lead me in that direction. Make that easy for me and make me happy with it. And if it's not good for me, turn it away from me and turn me away from it also. And give me something else that is much better than that. And this is the reason why مَا خَابَ مَنْ istikhara. Right? The one who does istikhara, then he doesn't suffer loss. Then even if he gets hurt, he knows that it was written for me because I asked Allah for help and I ended up doing this, you know, because this is what my heart settled upon after so much dua, after so much, you know, seeking Allah's help. Then even if I'm suffering, this was meant for me. This is when you feel confident about what you're doing. Otherwise, what happens? You're always so indecisive that even when you leave your house, you feel like going back. Should I go? Should I not go? Should I go? Should I not go? And this confusion is from who? Shaitan. That we always remain worried, we always remain anxious. So remove doubt and uncertainty with what? Turning to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is the reason why the Prophet ﷺ, when he was going for the battle of Uhud, remember there was Shura, he consulted the companions as to where the battle should be fought. And then finally when the decision was agreed, and the Prophet ﷺ, you know, he went out, there was some suggestion that it's okay, you know, we'll go back. But the Prophet ﷺ said that once the armor has been put on, now it should not be taken off. فَإِذَا عَزَمْتَ فَتَوَكَّلْ عَلَى اللَّهِ Right. Anything else? So just with regards to not making random guesses when we don't actually know, I was just thinking it's so liberating to say that you don't know because you just, that's it, you don't know, that's fine. And if you do accept that you don't know, if you talk when you only have knowledge, you'll never be wrong. So it's just a win-win. That's true. That's a very good way of looking at it. Amal? With regards to what she said, there's this quote, it's better to keep silent and be thought a fool than to talk and remove all doubt talk and remove all doubt whose doubt of other people right anybody else go ahead it just reminded me of surah al-baqarah when they are talking about the cow and how to do it and like they had their doubts they will keep on asking questions and questions and they were kind of aimless questions when they already knew the answer so the real uh, story and essence of the story was that Ashab-i Kahaf does exist. Eh? So it wasn't really important how many of them were not. So going in the matters that are kind of useless and spending time on it is... Exactly. Is and, and you will notice this. So many times when we read about the stories of the past in the Qur'an, this point is made directly or indirectly. That don't dwell on the number, the time, the era. These details are irrelevant what is relevant? The lesson. Rasulullah sallallahu he, you know, 15 days passed. And, you know, sometimes we become so hasty to give the answers. We should be patient, you know, to give the answer. We should think about it. We should work on that. And then we give, should give the answers. Yes. And we should also wait for answers. 15 days later, Wahi came. 
And sometimes when we have a question, we want the answer immediately. But there is a time for everything. Right? Okay. Okay.